That's a funny way of revealing that you are co-hosting a podcast with Jeff Probst (laughs) on on Survivor 44. that was watching part of former president and rather likely future candidate Donald Trump's speech to the gathered dozens at CPAC over the weekend and was reminded of a track on an old favorite album of this podcast's misbegotten youth. Track 10 of the Tool album Anima is titled Die Eier von Satan and is quite intimidating in its presentation. Auf einigen Fett ist es Backflash legen und bei 200 Grad für 15 Minuten backen und keine Eier. The joke is that this is just a recipe for sugar cookies that will get you high, spoken in particularly aggressive German with a loudly cheering crowd thrown in for some vaguely Third Reichish atmospherics, calling up all sorts of unpleasant associations. I was reminded of this track because Donald Trump's presentation at CPAC was precisely the opposite. The words he was saying were perfectly horrifying, but the way he said them, as though he were reading them for the first time, somewhat surprised by them, quite disinterested, left me with none of the nausea I felt when I first read the words myself. I read them on the page, and this is what they said. And if you put me back in the White House, their reign will be over, and they know it. America will be a free nation once again. We are not a free nation right now. We don't have a free press or free anything. In 2016, I declared, I am your voice. Today, I add, I am your warrior. I am your justice. And for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. I am your retribution. I will totally obliterate the deep state. Those are big words. Now, listen to Trump say that. Thank you, Thank you very much. And if you put me back in the White House, their reign is over. Their reign will be over. And they know it. And America will be a free nation once again. We're not a free nation right now. We don't have free press. We don't have free anything. In 2016, I declared, I am your voice. Today, I add, I am your warrior. I am your justice. And for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. I am your retribution. He is reading those words as though he is commenting on the existence of them, like he and his audience are reading them together for the first time, and he is a pundit talking about himself, talking about the speech. This is in perfect keeping with how he has been in public for much of his political life, always seemingly a step removed from the things he is saying, commenting on the spectacle rather than creating it. It's a funny way of removing responsibility from the thing he's saying, and the reason that people back in 2016 came up with the phrase, taking Trump seriously, but not literally. 
He so clearly doesn't intend to actually mean any of the shit coming out of his mouth, especially when it's so clearly written by someone else. It is always camp, always performance of performance, of imagining the reaction to the thing before you have actually done the thing. Imagine, instead, that Trump spoke like one of history's great orators. Imagine if he was a real demagogue and spoke and screamed like one. Imagine if he sounded like the words on the page so clearly, desperately want him to sound. Imagine if he sounded something like this. And if you put me back in the White House, their reign will be over. And they know it. America will be a free nation once again. We are not a free nation right now. We don't have a free press or a free anything. In 2016, I declared I am your voice. Today, I add I am your warrior. I am your justice. And for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. I am your retribution. And I will totally obliterate the deep state. The good news is, he doesn't sound like this. Instead, he sounds like he's only recently found out that there's a new burger on the menu at his hotel's restaurant. And maybe that one sounds pretty good. Might have to give that one a try next time. Some extra catsup on the side. Please don't forget this time. But this is also, in a way, his power that he so clearly does not really believe or mean any of this shit, that it's all sort of a pointless joke, that at its core, all he really cares about is being talked about on television, at the same time that his followers are laughing at how much what he's saying is going to piss off the right people. And that it doesn't matter because none of it matters, because all of it is a big stupid fraud, so fuck you for caring. At the same time, he was the actual president of the United States of America, a fact that doesn't actually get any less preposterous the more I say it. And he has a halfway decent shot of getting the job again. At least we have the sweet, sweet memories of our misbegotten youths. Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host. That's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too. How you doing, Lori? Uh, my boss yesterday referred to the 2008 financial crash as the housing pandemic. <laughs> That's how Lori's doing. Tonight is Tuesday. March the 7th, deep into March already, right. 2023. Hey, uh, I think secretly what's going on here is I've just desperately always wanted to be a DJ, and that's why I like playing <laughs> the rock and roll music and hosting my own podcast. You sound like Barack Obama speaking over that roaring crowd. Everyone once in their full throat and yelling and with a crowd behind them ends up sounding like Barack Obama. It's not true. B 
but that especially sounded like him for a second. I was like, wow, the cadence. I mean, not enough stuttering, but. Yeah, you do a thing. <laughs> How dare you? When you call, this is Bob Howard. I am the parent of my children, and they're not feeling well. So they won't be coming to school. Doesn't sound uh, let like. Let me know if there's anything we can like do. Me at all. Pretty close. This is, this is bullshit. Thank you very much. We, uh, we didn't record last night. Had too much weird shit going on and ran out of time to properly prepare for tonight's show. And then, of course, today, similar things happened and I sort of ran out of time. Had to take the kids to the dentist today. Yesterday, they had African-American Heritage Night at the uh, at the local middle school. No. At the local elementary school. There we go. <laughs> soon, to be, soon to be renamed. Are they, That's uh, probably what's got me confused about it. Is this school showing up other schools by doing something in March that's typically done in February? Yeah, that's right. That was uh, scheduled originally for like three weeks ago, but there was a sudden widespread COVID outbreak among the school staff and some of the students, like a, a spike of, of It was some... like, let's not all get together in a small place and eat. Pretty smart. Right. So they put it off for a few weeks, and here we are in March celebrating African-American heritage. And uh, some lovely uh, presentations by some talented youths. But I must say, overall, while it was celebrating, the idea was to celebrate, quote-unquote, black excellence, there was an awful lot of mediocrity in terms of the presentations <laughs> by the third, like, second, third, and fourth grade. I mean, yeah, they're young children. They're doing their best. Is that, is that uh, how you're the, grading them, though, Bob? Like, you're not— The subjects, the subjects were excellent. Uh, Frederick Douglass, Rihanna, oh, uh, Mike, Michael Jackson, yeah. Rosa Parks, just a litany of classic, excellent black Americans. And Rihanna. And Rihanna, right? Uh, <laughs> Barbados. I don't know if that counts. There was, I don't know what to tell you, there was a TED Talk. In, in the form of a TED Talk, there was a presentation on Rihanna's excellence, so... Good for her. Anyway, uh, but uh, like I said, good subjects, not always the most professional of deliveries. Not professional at all, you might say, <laughs> right. because they're fourth graders. You probably should have known that going in, Bob. <laughs> he was so harsh about our own son who like had to put a like powerpoint presentation together with no training on like how to give a presentation right. like what to leave in what to leave out i and see no Bob's reason like that ah, could have been a lot better yeah it was it was the wrong it was i didn't realize that he wasn't in a taking constructive criticism kind of mood <laughs> at the time I, was it? <laughs> I didn't realize that he had brought me something like with those big puppy eyes like do you like this thing that I did? Yeah. And then I was like, ah, it's kind of a, pi kind of a pile so of shit. mean about could, it. Could really use another couple of passes on when, this like, thing, don't you think? Full, I mean, uh, Abe, you probably deal with this. Like, actual adults have trouble putting presentations oh, yeah. together. Yeah. Like, it is not an easy, instinctive thing to do oh, as, a, as an adult. I mean, aside from the fact that I think that people should do their best work when it's going to be viewed by others, further... If you are, I mean, maybe this is a little white guilt thing seeping in, which I don't have a lot of. Like, if you listen to the show much, you'll recognize that's not a feature of my personality, probably. But uh, to an extent, if you're like a little white kid and you're 
doing a presentation that's supposed to be about black excellence and you have chosen at, at somewhat at your father's suggestion. So he came home. We should probably start a little earlier. He came home and his idea was that he was going to do a presentation on Kamala Harris. The vice president. No. On the vice president of the United States. First woman. Yeah, that's not suitable. And, I, and, and sure, he's like, we have to do true. a black excellence no. project. And I've chosen Kamala Harris. And I was like, eh, chosen? Like, is, is this written in stone that you got to do Kamala Harris? Can we pick somebody else? Like, how about, how about like Hank Aaron? Bob Hank says, Aaron. how about athletes? <laughs> black people. I can think of a number of athletes that you can talk about. He didn't want to do Hank Aaron, so I was like, okay, how about uh, like Frederick Douglass, one of the greatest right. black Americans right. ever, right? I mean, there's just no denying it. Anyway, the point is, so then we settled on Frederick Douglass, and I, I bought him a, a book on the Kindle so he could read a whole biography of Frederick Douglass rather than rely on whatever resources the school had. And, you know, like... Wanted him to take notes on it, and he did. He did a great job on that part. So he sort of had Frederick Douglass's life story down as much as you can from reading a book aimed at fourth graders. The, the point is that like, if you're a little white kid and you're doing a presentation in black excellence on Frederick Douglass, the amount of effort that it appears that you made reflects the amount of respect that you have oh, I see. for the task as a whole, right? So if you do sort of, I mean, not to say you did a shitty job, yeah. but if you do sort of a one-pass kind of job on your presentation and it looks like you did a one-pass, it doesn't really look like you have the appropriate level of respect for the figure in question. That was my, that was sort of my main concern. I see. That was fine. Nobody cares. And then he grades everyone else by the same standard of like, I was told this was a TED talk. (laughs) Why am I not blown away? So it shouldn't matter if you're nine. Bob, did did anyone meet the moment in your eyes? Like, did anybody like, ah, that's what I'm talking about. Some respect. I only watched a I watched a handful of these uh, presentations, and the answer is no. There were no great (laughs) examples. I mean, there. There were like 40 different things. I didn't watch all of them, right. obviously. That would be a bit much. All of the kids also drew portraits of their of the, the person that they were presenting. And some of those were like there's obviously in any group of 40 or 50 kids, there's going to be a couple who have natural artistic right. aptitude. Right. And there were a couple of shockingly well done portraits, in my opinion, lining the walls there. Not, my son's was not – was not one of the shockingly well done ones. It's not his particular skill set. Uh, we will find it, whatever it is. I'm sure eventually we'll discover uh, what he's good at. It's his kindness. Yeah, it doesn't fly for me. It doesn't, yeah, doesn't well, rate too high on that. He's a very sweet little boy. It's underrated, Bob. Yeah, no, he's very. I, you know, I told him tonight kid. that something he that something Katie would never be better at than him. Being nice, just being nice. Yeah, that's not in Katie's wheelhouse necessarily. <laughs> uh, Katie, Katie had her own drama today. She at the dentist. She's had this situation with her mouth where she has these shark teeth, where the the adult teeth come in, but the baby teeth don't fall out. And so finally, this trip to the dentist, they're like, "All right, these got to go." And so they shot her full of no- Novocaine and ripped three teeth out of her mouth, and she was a. She was a trooper. It's not the most pleasant experience, obviously. Wow. All in she one go? Just Three? Fine. Yeah. Yeah, and a surprise, too. Like, I mean, like two of them were quite loose anyway. There was only one of them where he had to really get in there with, like, the dentist pliers and just 
yoink and twist. It was not not the sort of thing I like seeing is the dentist like starting in a sitting position and then standing up and getting both <laughs> yeah. arms into it <laughs> to get the tooth out of my daughter's mouth. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, you know, it's fine. Uh, anyway, we are uh, we are here on a Tuesday, and those are the reasons why. As I mentioned up top, watched a little bit of CPAC this weekend. Did you see any of uh, the conservative political action conference or whatever that is I, down there in – I watched – usually uh, Florida? Maryland? I don't know where it was this time. Where was it? Maryland this year? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just caught the highlights. I watched uh, all the morning Sunday shows, Sunday morning shows, but I did not watch – I did not follow the coverage live as it happened. Yeah, I missed most of it as well, and Trump's speech was like way too long. I found it on on C-SPAN. It was like an hour and forty minutes long or something. It was way too goddamn long, and a lot of that sort of meandering commentary on the speech itself thing that he does. Lightly attended. Uh, CPAC used to be a rather huge deal, and all of the conservatives would go. But in the age of Trump and the sort of split in the Republican Party, not as big a deal any longer. Uh, DeSantis decided to not show up. He was out at the Reagan Library in California this weekend. He's got a new book, apparently. Got a new book. He's touring Blue America. He's hitting up. He went to New York City to dump on New York City. He's in California, obviously, to dump on California some. Never mind that the crime, the murder rate, the violent crime rate in Florida is notably higher than it is in New York City as he goes to New York City to talk about violent crime for some reason. Now— I don't think this is going to be the brand for his campaign whenever he does decide to announce, but I was reading an article uh, about his all the steps he's taking that suggest that he's going to make a run for president. And one kind of like theme that he wanted to push, the governor, uh, is he wants to make uh, America Florida. And when I read it, I was like, I don't think you appreciate – what people think of Florida outside of Florida. How, how can you possibly not be aware of Florida's <laughs> reputation? And it's not like – it's not just like a snobby – the way that we all think about Mississippi right. kind of thing, right. right? Florida is its whole other weird it's ecosystem. It's an actual punchline. Right. Right. And so it's – not, It's not just a punchline to liberal like uh, big city blue types. Florida is a joke to everyone. Right. It's a terrible place. There was, uh, what was it, Clerks 2 or Clerks 3, one of those movies, uh, probably 2, where they were trying to bring back and repurpose uh, the term porch monkey, like to take any sort of negative connotation from it and repurpose it. You didn't tell me I was going to need to have the, the bleep button handy for this episode, I don't think like bleep worthy, but like, uh, you know, it's in a movie. It sounds like maybe that's what DeSantis is trying to, to do, like this impossible task of like undoing a well-known, well-worn kind of thinking. Like you can't just pretend that's not there. He's such a weird character to do it too. And, you know, obviously I hope that he beats Trump in the primary. Like that would be much preferable to me. Won't be doable in a crowded field, but we'll see. Yeah, I don't expect it necessarily. I don't know what – I don't pretend to know anything about anything, but – He's a weird dude in terms of his personal presentation. He wears those big heeled boots that he has on all the time. Does that get him to 5'9", or is he 5'9 already and that gets short. him to like 5'11", or whatever? I don't know. Does he have— He needs to show up at the combine and be properly measured. <laughs> like Bryce Young? <laughs> like Bryce Young and Stetson Bennett. He's a short little dude. He's sort of a slob. He's, he does, he's not quite put together properly. Right. And like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if he's consciously mimicking— 
Trump's situation where because Trump always looks sort of dumpy, like a little too. disheveled. Yeah, uh, you know what's what's odd about DeSantis is like he has a spectacular like resume, like on paper. Like his story is right. like this. he went to he went to the the appropriate colleges. He went to it was either Harvard or Yale. Yeah, and or I think maybe both, like one undergrad and one like law school. Served in the military. He was, he was a, a, jag, a jag officer. Right? He was in in Iraq. He was in Guantanamo. Right, and there's there's going to be plenty of investigation into sort of his role there as a jag officer, no doubt as a lawyer for the army. Uh, but yeah, you're right. The the resume itself is spectacular. He served in Congress after that. Right. He then becomes the governor of Florida, and then after winning a close race in 2018, absolutely blows the competition out of the water as the incumbent in 2022. On paper, a tremendous candidate. But he wants to kind of like, you know, he's like almost like aping Trump, right? Like, And it's weird. Like for somebody, you think that resume, that second term, like margin victory, like he could do his own thing. But like why are you trying to like mimic somebody who does it better than you? Like – you know, Trump doesn't have a great resume, right? But he's got the personality. DeSantis seems like he kind of like, maybe that won't work. I think that that's going to be the question. Like if he gets a lot of press uh, attention, constant, he seems like he kind of like rattles. And he sometimes will use it for like his promotional campaign. Like he's, oh, I'm tough on these reporters. But like, I think if he's constantly getting, you know, those kind of questions, it's going to unnerve him. He didn't seem like he takes yeah. those kind of situations well. Uh, on the CPAC front, just real quick, do you think it's the splintering of the Republican Party that caused only like a handful of people to show up? Basically, it's like Trump and just like the 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 pilot fish, you know, the, the the Nikki Haley's and the others just showing up, and everybody else just kind of staying away. Is it because this is the Trump wing of the Republican Party, or is it schlap? The guy who like fondling so it's, dudes. It's a it's a little bit of both. CPAC was already just had just sort of become the Trump show in the last couple of years, and I mean CPAC's always been weird. Like the CPAC straw poll, you have some very strange people winning it yeah. through the years. Ron Paul <laughs> won the CPAC straw poll a couple of times. Like sort of the the standout weirdo usually ends up running away with it because the rest of the crowd is dominated by people who are all very much the same, right? Like anybody who. Nobody cares about Mike Pence. Nobody right. cares about what's his fucking name, who I hate so much. Pompeo. Uh, Mike Pompeo. Yeah. Haley. Uh, like, right. In, in the face of the Trump phenomenon, none of those things matter. If, if you have a weirdo outlier, that's the person who ends up getting right. the most votes. So it's not surprising. I think that the schlap thing probably plays into it some. It's easy for Mike Pence's people to say, you know, we're just going to stay away this year because we don't want to get too close to that whole thing until they the sort out. lawsuits yeah. Get, yeah. get sorted out. Uh, but I don't think that they were showing up anyway. That is a weird story, by the way. That I don't think we ever talked about it on the show. Matt Schlapp is the head of this CPAC thing. He's just sort of a big money guy in Republican politics. And was in Georgia, I believe. Yeah, during the Herschel Walker Senate run, he was in Georgia, and he had like a staffer for the Walker campaign. Driving him around. Right. That's his gopher. And yeah. uh, he was using these moments as an opportunity for him to like kind of like touch the guy, kind of like, an inv- hey, how about it kind of thing. And uh, right. there was- Allegedly trying to put the moves on this young not not young young right but, just but yeah yeah like 20 something staffer, staffer uh right. they were not comfortable with this at all uh and i think like he was trying to do something at the hotel again rebuffed and then like the next day he oh let's just 
pretend this didn't happen. To the credit of the Walker campaign, they basically took the staffer's side. It wasn't like one of those things where like, oh, this guy's more important and fuck you, right. random guy. They they stood by him and they stood by the story that he said. But yeah, that when it came out, in, uh, I don't know which outlet came up with the story, but that kind of hurt the brand of Schlapp. A lot of people yeah. thought he was going to uh, step aside, but he's still there. And, and, and No, you push right through it. Yeah. As I said somewhere on the blog this week, right. you never step down right. here in this country. There's no lack of a shaming culture around here, right. but there is, there's no consequences, ultimately, if you stay the course. You just push through, and you'll be just fine. And you know... To, to that to that point, like uh, I was watching your boy uh, Bill Maher show uh, last this past weekend, uh, and yeah. he had Russell Brand, this the guy from like Forgetting Sarah Marshall. He's kind of making the rounds now for some reason. He was in something that we just watched, wasn't he? He was in the Nile, the murder on the Nile. Yeah. Oh, the, that's the right, Nile. Yeah. Death on the Nile movie Gal that Gadot we watched. And Did we even? I don't think we talked about that on the show. We, we did watched... not. We went till it was a billion o'clock, yeah. so we didn't. We didn't talk about that, but we watched Death on the Nile a few weeks ago. Oh. Anyway, yeah. Russell Brand was in that. That was a fine movie. <laughs> Two eminently canceled individuals in that movie, actually, between Army oh, Hammer yeah, and... Oh, yeah, that's right. And... Yes, but Army Hammer is very cute, so... And apparently you know. very rich. <laughs> like... Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> he's doing all right. Uh, but he's not... Movies. For what it's worth... And... Did we ever talk about the Army we Hammer We never thing? talked about Army no. Hammer, no. Because I think, you don't talk about anything interesting. <laughs> I think that I included the, a link to the big Army Hammer profile in one of the show notes at some point in the past because we like vaguely brushed up against it. But there was a big I Army Hammer... I would brush Hammer, up against Army Hammer. Ah, bet you would. <laughs> big Army Hammer piece in... Graydon Carter's got a new publication. He used to be the managing editor of uh, Vanity Fair back in the day when it was a real magazine. He started some other newsletter. I think it's called Airmail. Anyway, they had a big piece uh, written by the guy who wrote the Gay Washington book, whose name escapes me at the moment. James Kerchick is the individual that I'm thinking of. He wrote Secret City, the Hidden History of Gay Washington, which is featured on a number of podcasts that I've listened to in the past. Seems like a pretty cool book. So like the city Washington. Yes, the city. Not George Washington. No, no, no. Washington, D.C. and all of the gay folks who have been power players in our nation's government history over the last 240 years. He explores. You literally just said power play. So that he wrote this big, long, in-depth piece on Army Hammer and his cancellation and what's been going on with Army Hammer for the last couple of years. And it is 100 percent worth reading. Seek that out in the show note if you would like to. The long and the short of it is that it seems like the Army Hammer thing was just a big, gross mess based on somebody's accusations that have been proven to be completely unreliable in terms of any of the worst aspects of it. The girl who did most of the accusing was suggesting that he was a rapist and then refused to put that in writing and refused to sign any sort of document that said that this actually happened. And in fact, in the days following the first volley of accusations was communicating with her friends that everything that they did was consensual. Like, like so then that, that, what what changed then if if I mean does the does the story cover it? I remember clicking on that link and there was like, Oh, you're out of whatever chances to read this, like you have to subscribe. I I remember that article. Yeah, you have to but 
You have to put in your email address yeah. in order to get access to it. You don't have to pay, but you do have to register. Gotcha. Anyway, the long story short is it was a big, ugly, gross mess, and it seems like he got the raw end of the deal. And but- he's probably a fucking bad dude. He's probably, he doesn't seem like he, he seems like he was a bad dude who treated women as disposable and largely didn't treat them with the respect that they deserve as fellow human beings. But have you met human beings? Like, this is, this is not too surprising. Also, the, have you met dudes? The weird thing is that the media published and repeated these claims about like cannibalism and weird sexual practices and being a serial cheater and being an abuser largely with no proof whatsoever right and but, and it just beca- it became a, a meme and the way that we understood this person and all of a sudden he couldn't get work anymore so the article do you think that would be enough for him to to return back to his career or is it, is it, is it like basically done he doesn't need to. Right. He has a bazillion dollars. Well, he's not getting any money from his family, apparently. He's not interested in taking any of the family fortune. Uh, now, it helps having that family. F- right. you, can, you can say that. Yeah. Like, it's, it's one of those things where, like, knowing that there are millions of dollars potentially at your disposal if you desperately need them. Right. It's somewhat easier to say, hopefully I can figure this out on my own. Right now, he's not even working or planning to work as an actor. He hopes possibly someday to return to public life. But he's been in treatment for substance abuse and his various addictions and is now like a, a recovering buddy. Like he goes Probably and he, hanging out with Russell Brand, he goes frankly. And he, he lives with people who are in recovery and like cooks for them and helps take care oh, of them. Oh, look at and, that. An accountability buddy. Yeah, accountability he's like a, buddy. a live-in accountability coach. Well, uh, good for him. Uh, Turn the corner. Like, you know, who knows? Who knows? He's a fine actor. I don't think he, like, it's not some fucking great loss he to was, the culture. Uh, was he a man from Uncle? Like, did he in that reboot? He was in some movie. Yeah, he was in that, he, wasn't he? He, he was, uh, what matters is he was the the Winklevoss twins. Yeah, he was the, the Winklevoss oh, right, in yeah. the social network. And look at him. It's, you know. Right. Now he's very, uh, seemed like a very attractive guy for people who are into that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. So, Why do we bring him up because, again? Because of Russell because Brand. Because of Russell Brand. Right. So, oh, right, right. So, Russell okay. Brand also canceled. I forget why, except that he's just he's sort of really obnoxious. Canceled. He's not really He's canceled. just sort of being ignored. What's weird is he's this hippie dude, like, in real life. I thought that's like, a thing he did, like, in the movies. Like, he's, he was, like, a, I guess a druggie back in the day, uh, and uh, he stopped doing that. But he... Kind of still of a weird guy. Anyway, he's on Bill Maher's show, and uh, they bring up the Fox News story where, you know, the host of the primetime lineup are all secretly saying all of this is bullshit. But then when they're on their own shows, they're saying, hey, a lot of good points, blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh, and, and Russell Brand does the typical like, well, you're not going to find any safe refuge anywhere you go. CNN is no better. MSNBC is no better. <laughs> John, I've not known you long, but I love you already. But I have to say that it's, it's disingenuous to claim that the biases that are exhibited on Fox News are any different from the biases exhibited on MSNBC. It's difficult to suggest that's, that's... that these corporations operate as anything other than mouthpieces for their affiliate owners in BlackRock and Vanguard. And, and unless we start to embrace... And, and also, mate, like, just spiritually, if I may use that word in your great country, we have to take responsibility... 
responsibility for our own perspectives. I, I've been on that MSNBC, yeah, mate. It was right. propagandist nutcrackery yeah. you, on there. Many, you, I went on the show called Morning Joe. Yeah. It was absurd the way they carried <laughs> Good on. Good morning, Joe. Yes, yeah, it, I don't it. know what it was. It wasn't morning. There was no one called Joe there. No one could concentrate. They didn't understand the basic tenets of journalism. No one was willing to stick up for genuine American heroes uh, like Edward Snowden. No one was willing to talk about Julian Assange and what he suffered trying to bring real journalism to the American people. And I think to sit within the castle of MSNBC throwing rocks oh. at Fox News is ludicrous. My friend, Make my MSNBC friend, better. My Make friend, MSNBC my friend, great my friend, again. My friend, I would love... It's all bad, man. Like, it's kind of, that's his thing. The parties are all bad. Everything's bad. We need to reset, blah, 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 blah. Very stupid shit, right? But the reason why. Well, uh, to be fair, yeah. that's not, not too dissimilar from the stance that I outlined right. when we talked about this last week. It's, I, I do think it is worth noting that one of them is demonstrably worse right. than the other. But also, if you're going to be a person with critical faculty ingesting as you ingest the various things in the content maw that you ingest you should recognize that some of the sins committed by your ideological enemies are going to be committed by your ideological pals and it's worth being aware of that fair, at the yeah very fair least. enough because it's kind of like the the, the 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 documents thing where like oh you know Biden would never do the document thing and then it turns out there were like right you know the problem is when you get into like Glenn Greenwald territory or, or Russell Brand territory in this case, or uh, crabs in a bucket territory, where it's just a pox on all your fucking houses, and that the whole system, like, and then you become a fucking revolutionary, right? Right? It's when you, it's when you take an assumption that because these people are operating in bad faith, and that sometimes some other people within the institutions operate in bad faith, that the institutions are irredeemable, right. and I just completely disagree that the institutions are totally irredeemable right so just to kind of finish the point with the, the russell brand uh the reason why so when he was making that point which is not the first time i've heard this point and and there's validity to it but like if you kind of take a step back uh we seem to be like in this environment where there's like a perpetual offsetting penalty like any bad thing that happens is offset by hypothetical future bad behavior by like some other side right so like if CNN does something bad. It's and it's never bad long enough because somebody will say, "Well, you think Fox News is any better?" and vice versa. And like what that does, taking yourself away from the back and forth, is that it invites more bad behavior. And going back to the, you know, if you're in America, don't resign, don't do anything, just kind of weather the storm. It helps when the conversation inevitably goes to everybody does it right, and so like you just get to go right. Ahead, right? So, like, Fox News does not bear any of the brunt of what this story would have been like 10 years ago because all people are talking about is like, well, it could have happened. You think this side is better. Everything's all the same. Yeah, I get all that. But, like, what about this specific case? And then the next specific case, if you kind of like compartmentalized and just dealt with each thing as it came, however it came, from whichever side it comes from, you can at least kind of tackle the problem. But the way it's set up now, if Anybody can do anything, and then the story will just come and go because, hey, the other side does it too. Like it's it's kind of like either side kind of, it encourages bad behavior, and no one gets held accountable because people are still kind of keeping score, and so that's not a very healthy way place to be. I really think part of it is is also this encroaching belief that none of this shit actually matters. Right. Like, like there's there's such an aspect of it that is especially obviously on the Republican side 
there's so little faith that we are actually going to get anything done of meaning and that all of it is just for show. And if all of it is for show, then it's just a mudslinging competition. And the only way to lose a mudslinging competition is to walk away. Right, right. You know that uh, my very strong position that there's not going to be anyone that's going to overcome LeBron's points lead whenever he's done right. with it? Uh, I was, You know, in, in, in light of this conversation, I'm thinking like, whomever the last politician was to resign, do you think that they're the last to resign? Because going forward, there really is no upside unless you're physically removed from office to resign, right? Like, I mean, uh, Al Franken and the like, where they would just resign, like, because of, oh, it just appears. That right. a- do you think, do you think Ralph Northam resigns if Al Franken hadn't right. resigned? That's, yeah, right? exactly. So, like, I think that Al Franken's resignation, which was such an obvious mistake just on his own behalf, like it was. But the environment that, may, that maybe, made that decision. Maybe to him, he felt like he was doing the right thing for his party or for the greater good or something like that, that there was no way that he could continue to endure the sort of abuse that was being hurled at him by the likes of uh, Kristen Gillibrand and any number of other high-profile Democrats, who, by the way, Gillibrand has, I don't know if it's out of uh, a sense of shame about that whole thing or what, but seems to have relatively disappeared from the national conversation over the last couple of years. So she was a prominent senator. You always saw her on different outlets, and she's always kind of making the rounds, like, you know, a top tier kind of politician but yeah you haven't heard from right her in a while. but since since the al franken thing since it was revealed that like that was a weird witch hunt that probably shouldn't have gone on or shouldn't have certainly shouldn't have ended the way that it ended uh she hasn't been nearly as prominent at the national level uh i wonder if like the fact of that being widely acknowledged as a mistake for him and and in the way that he was treated if to some extent like that that's what allowed Ralph, Ralph right. Northam when the whole blackface thing happened to decide that he was going to stick it through. If you saw that as an example, I think yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, you can draw that connection. And you know, even like you know, Matt Gates, he survived that. Hey, what about trafficking? Whatever. I mean, the case itself was uh, didn't go anywhere either. Uh, right, pretty thin apparently right. and in terms of actual evidence. Because I guess the star person was like a, a sack of shit. You know, that some some guy wasn't wasn't very reliable. The person who was Providing this incriminating information was not reliable themselves. Uh, Santos, like there's no real upside for him other than if they forcibly got him out of there. Uh, but if he just stays the course, he can just stay for two years. I mean, he's probably not going to win re-election, but they're really— uh, If you're George Santos, aren't you just like, yeah, I'll stop being a headache to the Republicans if anybody wants to give me like $5 million. Right. <laughs> like, I, I, am, I am wholly viable. Right. You can—happy to be bought five million big ones, right. and I will resign my seat in the House of Representatives tomorrow. Yeah, he's just going to— Stay the course. And like I said, going forward, I don't know what it would take for anyone to drop out because of like shame. Like that whole concept of shame is gone. Like people are not like scurrying away because of their they're ashamed of something that's happened or that's come to light. Like Trump over the weekend, he was talking about like, you know, to get ahead of any possible indictment, like he's going to continue his campaign as an indicted person if it comes to that. Right. So it's like. All of those norms are gone. So, like, there really is no upside to resigning. Right. And speaking along these same lines and also about uh, what happened at CPAC over the weekend, there's this conservative fella named Michael Knowles. 
I am not particularly familiar I've with him as anything. I've never seen him before. He looks familiar, besides but I've never seen him. a sort of Twitter provocateur type. I've seen him, and I'm pro- likely I've heard him before. Somewhere along the way, I'm just going to play this clip now from a speech that he gave at CPAC. There can be no middle way in dealing with transgenderism. It is all or nothing. If transgenderism is true, if men really can become women, then it's true for everybody of all ages. If transgenderism is false, as it is, if men really can't become women, as they cannot, then it's false for everybody, too. And if it's false, then we should not indulge it, especially since that indulgence requires taking away the rights and customs of so many people. If it is false, then for the good of society, and especially for the good of the poor people who have fallen prey to this confusion, transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely. The whole preposterous ideology at every level. All right, I I bring that up specifically as regards uh, the shame concept because not that you would necessarily expect someone who says this to uh, withdraw from public life entirely. The reason that you don't expect that is because he is expressing something that everyone in his tribe is willing to believe, right? That the, 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 the thing that he is saying does not represent anything shameful to right. one half of the political sp- I don't know about half that's probably not uh, fair yeah. but to the most to the most vocal and sort of crazy part of that wing of the party what he's saying does not represent something for which he should feel shame and what he has the benefit of doing and what he obviously like I should have written it down when I first saw the clip I did not write it down so I can't claim to know but what I what I knew was that this was going to be an opportunity for him one way or another to yell about the media right because when you get up on the stage at CPAC and you say transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely what you know for certain is that the media is uh, not going to react to that with per- with perfect fidelity to every syllable that you said right. right that that you're not that you will not your view as expressed literally will not be represented necessarily in the wider media when Huffington Post writes the story up, right? Or the Daily Beast writes the story up. And uh, as day follows the night, that's what happened, is that he has spent every waking moment online since this clips of this speech started circulating online, yelling about how he's going to sue the shit out of all of these publications who are running headlines suggesting that he wants transgender people eliminated from life that he is that he's literally a genocide heir right. because of the things that he said at CPAC which uh so that we don't get sued it's worth pointing out yes technically that's not what he said but uh heavily in the implication of what he's saying, it's not exactly a great stretch to uh, take it that next step. Right. I, you know, the, the thing is, you know, when, when he said ideology and transgenderism, like that was like his outs, right? To say, oh, I wasn't saying whatever. But however you formulate this message, eradicated 
is a very strong word to use about other people. Like, it's very weird. What the fuck is transgenderism? He probably just made that just to say not. Just the idea of being transgender is what I want to eradicate. Yeah, but you can't eradicate right. an idea. Right. But that, that's like his, what? his word, get out of jail card, he thinks. like Because then he'll say, oh, I didn't say the people. Just the idea in their head. Like, well, how are you going to do that? You know, by killing the people, I guess. And I don't know. When I talked a couple weeks ago about how important it is to maintain the middle, this is what I'm referring to. It's this asshole getting up at CPAC and talking about how transgenderism is a lie that we have been sold a bill of goods on even the notion that there are men born who can then become women right that this sort of eliminationist talk granted he's not talking about technically he's not talking about eliminating human beings he's talking about eliminating a so-called uh, ideology right uh, and yeah, but it's also when you said like when people say you're denying my right to exist or denying my existence, right. like that's what he's doing. Right. He's saying that's not real. Right. Well, it's one thing to deny it as an identity, right, which is sort of what he's getting at, that the, the identity of being transgender is not a valid identity to have and that it has been a mistake for our culture to accept it as such. I think he's wrong, and I think that he is that it is important that anybody who has questions about this conversation at all point at Michael Knowles and explain that you think that he's a crazy person who is wrong about this, that you can have compassionate feelings for people who are experiencing this situation in their lives and recognize that in some percentage of them, uh, medical transition might actually be the only way to treat this condition. Uh, you can acknowledge that and at the same time say, like, I'm not sure about how early children should be started on puberty blockers. I'm not sure if we should be medicalizing this condition in children under 15 or even under 18 or and certainly in children under 10 years old or something along those lines. That I'm not sure necessarily that social transition is actually the appropriate remedy for an 8-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old who suddenly starts presenting with this thing that has never been a thing before in their lives and has a dozen other mental health issues to go along with it, right? So like you can have the position that I'm just not so sure about this without going down the Michael Knowles road of uh, eradication and elimination. So, you know, a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of the arguments with this topic that has gotten uh, – it's remarkable how much time transgender issues has gotten, not like to help transgender people. It's just like what are we doing and how are we going to do it? And it's like how many people are actually Im impacted by this? But generally people will tie it to something like you described, like when they're kids, right? But this person, and he's not alone, uh, are not talking about – children transitioning or maybe we shouldn't be giving them drugs at a certain age and that sort of stuff he's just saying in general like a fully formed adult can make the decision for themselves like what's it to you right. uh, what that person does like and that thing that he says in the middle like and I'll, I'll replay it here just so that i can get it right hang on so he says something when i said citation needed like he says something very strange about how these other people living their lives is meant to impact everyone else. And if it's false, then we should not indulge it, especially since that indulgence requires taking away the rights and customs 
of so many people. Like, what the fuck is he talking about? Like, what I have the what right of anyone else's rights and people? customs? Like, I, I get it. Like, okay, so you don't want to call somebody by some weird fifth way pronouns or something like that. That I guess. It, like, but you could just not, right. and they'll just think you're an asshole. Like, you're, you, but your your rights and customs are not being infringed upon in any meaningful way. I don't so know what you're talking the about. Rights there. and customs part. Like, is the customs doing all the heavy lifting? Like, it's like it wasn't. Uh, uh, like a customary to like I don't know like I'm trying to figure out like what he's getting at like because no, it's not there are no know. rights issues here. No. Anyway, to tie it again to in terms of the shame thing, what he does then is and the way that this becomes a tribal thing where it extends beyond just the the small percentage of weirdos. And I don't I wouldn't even know where to start in terms of like who actually supports what percentage of Republicans or conservatives support the idea that transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely. I don't know. I assume that it's some smallish uh, percentage of people, but the way that you maintain your good standing within the tribe is the Republicans will all say, well, I don't agree with him, but he has a right to say it. And also look at the hyperbolic way this is being covered by the press where they're twisting his words and saying that he wants to go out and kill all trans people, right? And then that beca- – that, it's the same thing that Trump did for years, which is to say an outrageous thing, allow the press to get it slightly wrong or make it slightly more ridiculous than it actually was. And by the way, by virtue of the fact that you, if you say an outrageous thing and then the press repeats it a billion times, right. what people – People are hearing is the press repeating it a billion times, and it takes it it takes away the outrage and the power of you actually saying it in the first right. place. So if if there is some sort of great harm in just the speaking of the words, then why does the media uh, permit themselves to continue to spread this idea so far and wide? And and it becomes this stupid thing where people say, "Well, this, this is just hypocritical now of the media to continue to push this thing out in the public." If they think it's uh, so fucking harmful, right. right? And then as soon as Trump is able able to pivot and say the media is turning this into a bigger thing than it needs to be, then he's won the yeah. fucking day. And that's what Michael Knowles's plan was all along: was to pivot and turn this into something of a media outrage story rather than anything about the thing that he actually said. Is his uh, posture that of like some sort of Christian person? Like is that his thing? I imagine that he's some sort of Christian. Okay. I don't know specifically. But not like he's not like a pastor or something. He's not like. I think he's more of a Chris Rufo type more than anything else. He's American commentator okay. Michael J. Knowles. Let's pull up his Wikipedia. He's worked at the Daily Wire since 2016. Oh, so he's over there with Ben Shapiro and Matt Walsh and all the rest. 2016, Knowles was invited to join the Daily Wire, beginning as regular guest and cultural correspondent for the Andrew Clavan show. So, yeah, not anybody, just a a right-wing political commentator type. Let's see, what else can we talk about in terms of shame? That actually gives me a chance to pivot to the blog here. I should mention, all of the listeners out there, I've been blogging more this past week, I think I posted five blogs yeah. since the last time we. Do you like listening? Try reading. Podcast. <laughs> think of it as like a preemptive show note. If you go yeah. to brainiron.com and you see in the the second row of things there, it's got. So the first thing that you see is our recent podcast episodes, and then the next row down 
is recent blogs. I'm going to try to blog just about every day, uh, four, five, six days a week maybe. The idea being that uh, I think I said something in the when in the rolled doll conversation where I was talking about how uh, how dare you mess with a single sentence of mine you you fucking editors I've slaved over these words and every single punctuation mark matters to me and the idea that I can be edited is bullshit and you can fuck right off I realized uh, that's no way to be in the world uh, <laughs> in terms in terms of somebody who's trying to uh, write anything. Uh, and the blogs don't have to be that uh, further. And I've, I've had this revelation like literally uh, 50 times where it's like uh, I want to blog and then I start blogging. I'm like, yes, but this isn't perfect. It doesn't say some big grand idea. It doesn't explain the whole goddamn world. It's not everything that I wanted it to be. It, it It's not the blog to end all blogs, right? It's now, like I've, a presentation by a fourth grader about Frederick Douglass. That's right. <laughs> uh, it, and, and crucially, it doesn't have to be those things. I think that I've written and I could put together a nice portfolio of blogs to end all blogs, as silly as that is. I've written some spectacular oh, yeah. essays that I, I remain incredibly proud of. But crucially... Blogs don't have to be that, and in fact, largely uh, by the numbers, uh, shouldn't be that. There's a, this <laughs> like, is, there's this not... is called growth because Bob used to think that Facebook status updates should be that. So this is this is called personal growth, right? So instead, I, so I have different categories of blogs as a way of uh, coming to terms with this uh, on a personal level. I have the the blogs that get tagged as morning press is just like, here's the shit that I read right. today, and I'm going to maybe have five thoughts about it, and it's not going to be perfect, and it's not going to have some grand coherent theme. It's just going to be some thoughts on the news that I've read in the last 24 hours, and I'm not even going to reread it and edit it. I'm just going to type it and post it and come back to it later. So that's one type of blog, the morning press, quick and dirty uh, try not to care too much about it myself. Then there's another type of blog called it's filed under filings. All of these things, by the way, obviously are are sort of related to the brain iron theme, right? In one way or another, it's clever wordplay involved there because I'm obnoxious in everything that I do. Uh, filings will be more considered thoughts, right? So it's like one longer essay about one particular subject. This week, it was a response to an Ari Shapiro memoir that's coming out. Ari Shapiro is a host of All Things Considered. On NPR, I wrote a piece about our culture's sort of obsession with memoir and identity. You could read Bob's best thing he's ever written, which is that. It's it's memoir. It's on the blog somewhere. It's about Catherine's wedding, and it's the best thing he's ever written. So I, I recommend yeah. that. Did you link to that in that? No, I did not. You should have. That would have been smarter. Yeah, that's funny. That I, because it is sort of memoirish, this thing that Laurie is talking about. Anyway. It's easily the best thing he's ever written. 
by a mile. That's not true. Uh, it is funny, though. Anyway, uh, so I have that. I have that, like, hopefully once a week. I have a, a filings piece, which will be more coherent thoughts all about one subject. And then the big ones, there's a there's a tag on the site called Heavier Metals, and those, those will be the big ones. Those will be the ones that I agonize over, and I can, if you want to tell me I chose a word wrong, I'll fucking come to your house and punch you in the stomach. Uh, <laughs> those will be the ones that I actually care about. And who knows how often those show up. But You won't, you won't get those. Right. Those don't get published. Yeah. Funny you should mention, <laughs> I was looking, because I was blogging again this week, I had to go through some old saved but not published articles, and there are like 10. And like two or three of them are like really good, and just but so completely not timely anymore. And I'm going through it, and I'm going, well, I would fix this, but like this is pretty good. And it's like I had this big like 5,000-word essay on Bernie Sanders that I never fucking put up there. And like now it's I like— I remember when you were writing that. Who fucking that cares was about be the good. Bernie Sanders article? That's stupid. Someday you'll die. <laughs> you you yeah. should pull— Someday I'll die. These unpublished things. Guess what, you, guess what I'm going to do when you die? I'm going to put all your shit on the internet. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have a kill switch on all my shit, and it just obliterates when I pass from this mortal coil. I'm sure there's like a It'll backup be somewhere. You won't. You will never get around to that. Wouldn't that be funny, uh, Bob, anyway. if you, uh, there was like, now now that he's dead file, uh, and it just takes off, it's become like very popular reading, and you're dead. And you're... No, and then I'll get to finally make some money from him. It'll be so funny. Yeah, right. Uh, like, I'll sell it, because all I'll do is like try for like a right. second to sell it, and it'll yeah. sell. It'll be yeah. great. Anyway, the point is, uh, I'm going to blog more, and I'm going to hopefully not be as precious about those blogs. And as evident, obviously, I didn't want to make this promise ahead of time and then not fucking do it. But I have a week of blogs up there now. There's five blogs. Go check it out, brainiron.com. Is this a uh, uh, indefinite goal or like a target you're yes, trying to Abe, hit? Abe, over under in <laughs> weeks, how long this lasts? <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> We're one week in. <laughs> I'm going to write it down. Okay, I'll... wait. I'll, wait, 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 wait. I will set the over-under in weeks that this lasts. Hold on. Four. Oof. Uh, I, I think I can comfortably take the under on that. Oh, how dare you? That is very hurtful. Just judging from past experiences and knowing what's going on will in our happen. life. Four yeah, weeks. Something will happen. Yeah, I will be coach. I'll be coaching that's a T-ball right. team here before we know it. And it's, you know, that's a full-time job. All come to an end. That's a thing that takes the, daytime energy the, because full, people who have full-time jobs and are also parents coach T-ball. Right. But like the way Bob does it, that is the that is the job. Some of the uh, re- some of the uh, blogs will just be recaps of the previous game. <laughs> that's right. It's outrageous. Uh, this is this is also, by the way, how I stopped writing fantasy foot or running a fantasy football league and posting weekly updates yeah. because my fantasy football weekly updates became too precious to okay, me. Yeah. That yeah. It, it became something where I had to produce something that was awesome to read for the ten or it eleven was. people who, by the way, represent the largest captured audience. That I've ever had, right? So it was important to me that I make the thing good. This is the and big then it show. Went, once it, <laughs> is that what you're right, telling yourself? <laughs> once it became, yeah, then it became too much. I had to stop. Yeah. Anyway, I hope to maintain this and I will blow by your goddamn insulting four week over okay. under. As, uh, as the former president once said, uh, it'll, be, it'll disappear by Easter. 
Oh, anyway, uh, what I hope to turn that into, like when I get, because part of it is also, and now I'm just talking about myself, but whatever, it's my podcast with my friend that nobody listens to. So what I want it to be is something that I can bang out in like an hour, right? Because like this, what I noticed in the past couple, in the past bunch of them, like the the one long Ari Shapiro one took me a few hours, right? But the, most of the other ones take me significantly less than two hours to put together. And if I get practiced at it, then it's something that I can just get up and do and bang out in an hour and then move on to the next thing, which is the, the idea is to get back in the habit of producing things that I can just share and move on That's from actually- at the same time that I'm working on other bigger projects. That's actually not a bad idea. Just operate under a time crunch as if like this has to be turned ooh, in ooh, no matter Abe what. Ooh, had a weird that's idea cut there. Off, no matter what. Yeah. Oh, yep. that's a, Oh, that sounds, does that sound like a thing that I've ever said to you? That's weird. <laughs> just like have a deadline uh, and just do a thing. It sounds similar uh-huh. to my idea. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I didn't fucking reinvent the wheel with this thing here. I'm just suggesting that, like, uh, you know, hang out. It's going to be fun. We're going to be blogging. And there's nothing wrong with blogging. And also, it gives you an idea of what we might be talking about the next week, if that is your bag. And it's unfortunate, as you said, Abe, because uh, I, I only laid this on you this afternoon. You hadn't realized that I had been blogging. Yeah. Uh, there's no good system really for distributing these things besides the daily newsletter. Like this is sort of the entire model of Substack and why Substack has become a thing is because somebody can uh, produce a what amounts to a blog and then blast it out to everyone who has subscribed to their newsletter up to that point. And like that's sort of the – that's the direction all of this stuff is going where I don't actually demand that people – type in www.brainiron.com every day. Uh, that's not that's not the way the modern world works any longer. Right. You know, the, the thing is, like, you know, we had a pretty good system back in the olden days where, like, an app like Google Reader, it was like this Aww, RSS Abe. feed, and it would just push things to you. Like, you could just move about, you know, go about your day, and then if some new content from someone you're following, uh, that's it. Right. The reason, the reason that I wasn't active at all on Twitter 10 or 15 years ago or whenever Twitter the first few years of Twitter was because I had Google right. Reader and it was just an RSS feed of all of the different news services that you wanted to subscribe to and you didn't have to bother typing in 50 different websites every day and 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 Twitter replaced that effectively right like Twitter and Instagram and whatever else other people right. use has become the new sort of RSS feed for everybody. And it sucks because it's also, in addition to being where you can find all of the articles to read, the place where all of the journalists have their bullshit, like Uh, uh, high school cafeteria fights back and forth all the fucking time. A lot of back and forth. And you find yourself, right, distracted by just absolute schoolyard bullshit all the time. Uh, They need to bring back something like Google Reader. I think, like, uh, the way that, like, everybody freaked out about Twitter and Elon takes over and it looks like Twitter's going to shit the bed and everybody's like, oh, come come to Mastodon. You'll get your go to this other website and we'll be able to figure it out. Like maybe if there's a big positive to come out of 
the sort of semi backlash to Elon taking over Twitter is that somebody because all of the technology still exists out there. Right. Like if you open up your podcast app, that's just an RSS reader, right. right? All it's doing when you open up your podcast app is checking to see how many what updates have been made to the different RSS feeds that you are subscribed to, and then it puts them in your podcast player. It's the same right. exact technology. Right. You just need to do it with articles, but nobody's really doing yeah, it. Yeah, it right doesn't now. seem like it's that difficult of a thing. I mean, just from an outsider's perspective, because you're right, like I like my podcast app uh is basically just like the a bunch of title cards or just like just icons of the show. And like it could be something like Serial, which hasn't published something in a while. And, you know, you listen to other things and then you'll see a one, like a little icon saying, hey, there's something new here. And you're like, oh, they posted like an update to something, right? And you'll right. go there and listen to that 10 minutes of whatever and move on. Like something like that with, you know, just articles and stuff. But maybe the other point is that there aren't that many – are there just not that many blogs anymore? And so like what – there really aren't very many. People don't read blogs anymore. Right. So maybe that's just not a lot of content to sustain. No. I mean, my my entire Google News feed, when I, because that, that's the closest thing that I have now, is I pull up my phone and I swipe right and it, pull, it pulls up my feed and it's just all this bullshit right. here. But it's bullshit, but it's not blogs. A lot of it is just blogs. A lot of it is just, I mean, it, I guess they don't call them blogs anymore, but they're basically blogs. Anyway, somebody could do it and I don't know why they don't. You besides, do I guess it. there's not a bunch of money in it. Uh, speaking of cereal, as long as we're on that topic, did you listen to the New York Times slash cereal production that came out a couple of weeks ago now? I forget what they called it. Was it, it like on its own feed or is that like part of something else? It was published on its own feed. I think it was promoted in the cereal feed. It's called The Coldest Case in Laramie, and it is about – uh, this journalist, Kim Barker, who goes back to the town that she grew up in, in Laramie, Wyoming, to investigate a cold case murder that happened uh, to a girl while she was in high school there in Laramie. Is Laramie the same uh, place where that uh, shepherd kid got killed? Yep. Yes, it is, in fact, that town. And she has some big feelings about going back to her hometown for the first time in a long time. And what a, a sort of hateful and mean place it was. And she discovers uh, the ways in which she was perhaps misremembering things or at the very least the ways in which it has changed since her time there. I only uh, bring it up because I did, in fact, listen to the whole thing. And it's fine. It's a, it's a sort of typical cold case thing. I was struck, despite its pedigree, it being a serial production and a, a co-production with the New York Times, and the fact that it sort of got widely promoted in the the week that it dropped and all the episodes dropped at once, it made absolutely zero impact I, this is on the... the very first time I'm hearing of it. I, I That's interesting. Right. And it's worth listening to, I guess, if it's the sort of thing that you're into. I was struck to some extent by... Like and I think I know why it didn't take off, despite it being well done and having the the proper promotion behind it. And it's because it's deeply unsatisfying in terms of coming to any firm conclusions about anything, right? So they think that they have a suspect, and then it turns out that like there's just no way to bring a case against him. And there are a million reasons to believe that it probably wasn't the guy that everyone became convinced it definitely was the guy. And then you're just sort of left with, and we don't know. Right. 
and we yeah. probably will never know. And we just have to live with not knowing. And there are a couple of moments in it. There's, I think it's in episode three, especially where the format makes it worth the entire endeavor. So like the, because the audio format, uh, the advantage that it has over a, a news magazine piece, which this easily could have been, this very easily could have just been an indulgent long like a news magazine kind of thing. right a long feature piece in the new yorker or the new york times magazine or something along those lines but to speak well of the particular format of the podcast when you can get people like real americans on the other end of a microphone and just have them talk about themselves Sometimes you can hear things in their voices that say more than just reading it on the page necessarily is able to communicate. And there were maybe two or three moments in this entire eight or nine episode thing where uh, that was exemplified. And so uh, for that, it is it is uh, recommended in terms of a satisfying narrative experience. I don't think so. I think for the freaks and weirdos out there who are like going on Reddit and various other online forums and trying to like string people up based on bullshit evidence that they're oh, yeah. uh, crowdsourcing themselves. Yeah. Like it is it is sort of some cold water on that instinct of a lot of these true crime uh these people who are into true crime documentaries and podcasts and that sort of thing. Uh, so maybe it'd be good. It'd be good for the audience who definitely doesn't fucking care about it, right? <laughs> in that sort of weird way. Uh, but but anyway, I'll make sure there's a link to it in the show notes if anybody wants to check I, it out. I wonder. So was was this a all episodes dump, or did they do it like serial and other shows? Yes, all eight, all eight episodes, or seven, seven, yeah, eight episodes all dropped. I, at I once. wonder if that also hurt i'm sure it's not the only reason why i didn't get a lot of traction but like you know sometimes you do want to build you know like on the tv side like the the dragon show last year took off because it was just drip 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 this uh, video game turned into a show the last of us same thing like i think like stranger things like seems to be like an exception like for whatever reason didn't matter how you do it that show always does well but like every other show seems to benefit from so i wonder with this podcast because if I remember, recall correctly, Serial also, they may have done like an episode under the This American Life banner to kind of get the ball rolling. And then everything else right. was kind of like a week by week thing. And it was like slowly building its audience and getting the word of mouth. Yeah, this is also, this also just, it doesn't have that natural hit the cliffhanger sort of moment. Like it's just not that sort of show. So I can understand why they wanted to okay. put them all out like, at once. Well, that's pretty generous of them. Like, let's not tease this any further. There's not going to be a payoff. And so let's just do it all at once and be done with it. Yeah, that's fine. It's it's worth a listen, I guess, if. If you need something else to listen to in the podcast feed, check that out. It's uh, the coldest case in Laramie. Anyway, let's see if there was anything in the blog this week that I definitely wanted to bring up. All right. So one thing real quick uh, from a blog entitled, The Things You Don't Actually Own End Up Owning You by Just Up and Leaving. And this was a reference to a story that came out this week in a publication called the drive and there'll be links to all of this in the show note this is where uh, the headline future fords as in the cars could repossess themselves and drive away if you miss payments and uh, this is something that uh, obviously was predicted by rick ross as 
presented on this very podcast a few weeks ago. Didn't we just talk about this? Yeah. yeah. A few weeks ago, we talked about how Rick Ross suggested that the cars were going to repossess themselves. But that was like some weird shit where Rick Ross was like, no, I'm not getting in a Tesla. Fuck right. that. Uh, they'll fuck with me. And then this story comes out at thedrive.com, which is like, yeah, you probably shouldn't get in these cars. They're going to fuck with you. And this is a quote. It says, there would be several warnings from the vehicle before the system initiated a formal repossession. If these warnings were ignored, the car would begin to lose functionality ahead of a repo. The first lost functions would be minor inconveniences like cruise control, automated window controls, automated seat controls, and some components of the infotainment system, such as radio, global positioning system, MP3 player, etc. The next level is more serious and includes the loss of things like the air conditioning system, a remote key fob, and an automated door lock-unlock system. Likewise, an incessant and unpleasant sound may be turned on every time the owner is present in the vehicle. Uh, this is all in the event that you uh, fail to make the necessary payments on your car. Uh, this is the, the the Ford has plans to install these features. I mean, these are patents anyway. It's not officially in the works in any of their cars, but they wanted to get uh, the idea down on paper and make sure that nobody could steal it from them. Does uh, does the repo man have like a lobby group? Because it's going to put them out of business, right? This uh, this scheme. There won't be anybody that's – there's no need for somebody to go fetch a car. Uh, also, the – you know, realistically speaking, I mean, the, these cars are going to be expensive for some time. It will be some – like a couple of decades before they become uh, cheap enough for somebody who's struggling to make ends meet by that car, right? So where this would be a problem, like the first few waves of purchasers are going to be well-to-do types. They're not hurting for money they'll be able to pay the monthly note, right? So this is not going to come up. Well, unless unless this is a feature that only gets added to people's cars who are not buying them from the fancy Mercedes dealership, but instead are buying them uh, either on the secondhand market or they're buying them from these shady car lots that are like, you know, uh, come in now. We do financing like that. You know that, that sort right. of shit. Yeah, those. Yeah, look, where, where they're like, oh, it, well, we, we don't care about your shitty credit, which is never a good yeah, sign. Some credit, no credit, <laughs> no job. Who fucking cares? We'll sell you a car. Like th- those are the yeah. cars that are going to be equipped with this sort right. of shit. Not the not the fancy BMWs and Mercedes. Right. I guess that, that's true. The 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 other thing is like you think that they would promote this technology for at least for public consumption around like theft prevention, like. You know, if some Kia boy type steals your car with whatever, like the USB, uh, the functionality right. will still be there to where it'll drive the car, it'll kind of commandeer the vehicle, the robot, and take it to like the nearest law enforcement place, right? Or something like that. And then on the side, do this repo business, right? But like the public facing angle should be, <laughs> you know, uh, theft prevention. I, of course, took this a uh, step further and because th- this very much smacks of the way that everything is on a subscription basis yeah. now and that you don't actually own anything. And of course, in a sort of fundamental sense, we don't own our, I mean, now we own our car, but when we bought our car, we financed it through some bank, right? And then the, so the bank technically owned the car and we had to pay on the note until it's paid off. Uh, we paid the car off and then we get the, the title for the car and then it's technically our car. Same goes for our house, obviously. We pay a monthly mortgage, and we don't technically own 
the house, the entire property is like deeded over to the bank essentially until we have paid off the enormous loan that we took out uh, to live here for 30 years. In the same way, almost everything has become a subscription, right? Like I don't know when the transition happened, but something about like Netflix jumps out at me in that way. Like I recognize that we always had like a you you paid a monthly cable yeah. bill in order to have the cable come into right. your house. But like Netflix was sort of the first no the the camel's nose under the tent and and maybe cell phone bills as well where it like it's it's one thing to have a phone bill that you pay every month it feels like something else when it's a phone when it's a cell phone to me it feels more like a subscription and that you add on the fact that you're sort of paying a monthly uh, 15 or 20 dollars you don't ever it used to be the case that you'd never actually buy a phone right you would just and a lot of people still do it this way. I still do it. They just pay fifteen or twenty dollars a tack month. Tack it onto the bill. To just tack it onto the bill and sort of rent the phone for two or three years at a time, and then you get a new phone, and you never actually pay the phone off. It's just twenty dollars right. a month that you pay indefinitely forever. Because after two years, you need a new right. phone, and it's interest free, In right? It's not like that's why phone, that right? worked. Yeah, interest right. free. It worked. It made sense for specifically phones. Because you'd get to the end and be so excited, like, I'm at my two-year mark, this piece of shit phone that isn't my problem won't be my problem at all. Yeah, whoever came up with that uh, plan is a genius because basically it kind of like – it's like a soft contract. It's not really a contract, but basically you're kind of entangled with the – it's like a leaf. You're like, I'll just stick around until I'm done with this thing before I consider going somewhere else. Like, if you own your phone, yeah. you can, I guess, in theory, leave at any time. But Right. And there's so many other things that are on this subscription model now, right? I mean, it's, So it's many things. Those Z-Biotics, we could get a subscription for Z-Biotics. We could get a subscription for the non-alcoholic beer. Subscription. We could get a subscription for anything. To watch movies. So many things. Right, you pay a monthly subscription right. to go to the movies right. all the time. Like we, uh, I have half a dozen things on my Amazon subscribe and save list where, like, without having to think about it, they just send me the things that I'm going to the be buying food. anyway. Right, like the dog food is on a subscription plan right now, and in important ways, we're on subscription for most of our media consumption too. Right, so I pay for YouTube Music yeah. is a subscription yep. that I Same. pay for as part of some larger. Google package that I don't even know what the fuck it comes <laughs> with, but thing. like, it's, like whatever it is, I have YouTube music, yeah. so I don't actually own any. Like importantly, I don't own any of that music. I can go right. in there, and I can I can like click it and put a check mark next to it and like say, okay, this you can is, download it. I can download it and say that's this owning is, it. Once this, you've downloaded, it's yours. This is mine now, right? But that's not true. They can come in and say, oh, we don't have the license for this anymore, and they restrict access to it. But it happens all the goddamn time. It, Onto no. your phone. Yeah, onto my oh, phone. Oh, on the player. Unless my phone is on. Use... Unless my phone is on airplane yeah. mode all the time, Google can come right in and, and turn off access to that. In the same way that if you keep your tablet on airplane mode after you've downloaded something off of Netflix or Amazon Prime or something for the kids to watch on a long car ride, it has a thing where every 30 days you have to reconnect to the network in order to verify that Amazon or Netflix still has the license for that particular right. thing. Now that's like obviously that's one thing, right? Like, it, and it's sort of understood that 
I have a subscription to Amazon Prime. They don't have indefinite licenses for whatever new movie just came out. And so you recognize that. But that's not where this ends, right? So uh, as was we were talking about a couple of weeks ago with the Roald Dahl books and how they were going to release new versions of them that had been changed and censored in some ways. And we don't need to rehash that whole story. Our prediction, the thing that I said that night was, would it be too cynical to suggest that this was just a ploy to get a bunch of media attention to roll doll and then unveil the fact that you're going to be releasing the classic texts as well? And I suggested that it would be a couple of years. That was very <laughs> foolish of me. <laughs> because <laughs> almost immediately. our episode had barely published like we had I had barely gotten our episode out into the world before the announcement from uh, Penguin Books was that they were going to be releasing a box set of the classics in unaltered fashion for anyone to buy uh, if they were upset about the new versions uh, but that's not why I bring this up I bring this up because Puffin was forcing out updates to previously purchased and already downloaded rolled doll books. So if you'd spent $7.99 on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in ebook format on your Kindle, you went to go open it again uh after having connected to the internet. It what it had apparently for a lot of people updated to the new censored versions, the the ones that are uh, more in keeping with what the folks at Inclusive Minds believed to be not so offensive in the way that the old books were offensive. And so, importantly, even though you paid eight dollars for that book, and like not in the way that you, we think about paying nineteen ninety nine for Netflix, and you just have access to whatever it is Netflix decides you're going to have access to that month. In the fine print of Amazon, yes, it's true. It says you don't actually own any right. of this shit. But like the the way that it is sold to you is you now have bought this thing and you will own it forever, right? right? Like it is it is yours now. You can take it with you as you see fit. That's not actually the case. And it has been the case in the past where like you believe that you've bought something on Google Play Music or some other music service. Uh, Amazon Prime is a great example. Apparently, a lot of folks had bought actual albums, the digital versions of albums, and downloaded them to their devices, and then come to find out that they're not able to play those albums anymore, even though they paid $9.99 for them or whatever. Uh, Amazon, it was a, a limited license that Amazon was right. selling you, not actually uh, the permanent MP3s. And if you'd left them on your phone rather than burning them or otherwise transferring them off into some other CD or into some other format, then you just lost access to them. That's bullshit. Right. Okay. <laughs> that is our bogus future in a nutshell, that you can uh, own a piece of literature that was delivered to your electronic device, and then the publisher can decide, actually, we're going to alter the thing that we've placed on your device and you, because you technically never owned it in the right. first and, place. And I think that's that, there, there's like two different types of issues uh, treated the same way. Like, you know, for, for instance, the AMC subscription package – uh, you're paying for access to the theater. The content is subject to change. Whatever comes and goes, that's what comes and goes. You're not paying to watch Avatar. You're paying for the access to watch Avatar. So in that context, it makes sense. You're, right. It's not like you, you you didn't show up to AMC on Thursday night and they were like, nope, you're bowling right. tonight. Yeah. It's, right? like, <laughs> it's like you have you can get into this building, but then we're not doing the thing you were you came for. It's like a more direct thing. Like I, I'm buying a book. 
um, and that should be the end of it or some other content, they're altering the content. And that seems to be like a weird thing. Like if you just said – People should buy books. Just like the, buy a book the actual, or buy right. a CD or buy a movie. Yeah. I mean I've been saying – we do Forever. it all the time. Invest, There's nothing to complain about. Invest We're doing in physical great. media. Like and it, it, when I have a all of my books that I want to keep forever, and then hopefully, like my kids will want my books someday. Like it's the reason that the books that when I buy books, some of them I'm perfectly happy to have delivered to my Kindle. Like if I want to read some fucking thing that somebody I heard an interview on NPR, and it's like it doesn't bother me at all to either buy a book with like a credit that I have on Amazon or a free download that I have on audible. Like, and it's just cause I'm going to listen to it once or read it once. And I'm never going to think about it again. Like I'll get, I'll get the three sentences worth of context and knowledge right. that I'm looking for out of this four or 500 pages and, and never have to go back to it again. If it's a book that has any meaning to me whatsoever, right. Or that I suspect will mean anything to me whatsoever. I'm going to buy the actual physical right. thing and want to keep it in my house. The thing itself actually has uh, meaning to me in a way uh, that I don't want to leave to, to chance of whether or not some monster corporation is going to decide that they don't want to pay the license fees on the, on the content anymore. Yeah. I, uh, I was perfectly content with just, transitioning to digital you know like i would i would read the actual books and then i transitioned into the kindle i use the uh fulton county library they have a thing where you can just rent digitally a uh a thing right. and by the way didn't hear it from me but like you know they give you three weeks uh for each book that you get if you still happen to turn off the wi-fi who knows? You can right. Keep, you you stick it on airplane yeah. mode. You might end up with that nine hundred page uh, historical tome that you're definitely not ever going to get to indefinitely on your device. Right. Eventually, you're like, okay, I can't finish this. I want to read something else. So you have to turn it back on. But like, I think I'm gonna start slowly going back to the to the books to the regular books. You know, go to the you know the libraries down the street from me. I can just walk in and just get the book. You know. Right. And also, like, I mean, not to this is now just a complaint about a device, but like the the Kindle has always been a very obnoxious device to me in terms of the software. Like I've it's never worked the way exactly I want it to work in terms of its uh like highlighting and note taking abilities. Like all, all of the th the added things that I want to do with a book in my hand, it it just doesn't fucking work. I've had more success just taking pictures of the Kindle screen and then using my notes app in my right. phone <laughs> to circle or highlight things in terms of like trying to actually keep up with things than using any of the onboard stuff on the Kindle device. I, uh, uh, and, uh, and the same goes for physical books. Like I like having the physical book and either use – like if it's a book that I'm going to keep forever and keep coming back to, I might actually highlight in it or write notes in it or otherwise like take a picture of the thing and highlight it on my right. phone. I, w I would recommend anyone that does have a Kindle to pair it with uh, Goodreads, the Goodreads app because when you highlight something, you know, assuming everything works and it's in sync, it will preserve right. and you can go back and, and look at all the things that you highlighted in any book you know, however far back you want to go. All right. Similarly on this topic, uh, before we wrap it up, Roald Dahl is not the only author whose works are being reevaluated in terms of the modern context. Uh, Ian Fleming's uh, James Bond series has undergone a similar review in order to ferret out and eliminate any of the 
racist and uh, maybe the more grossly overt sexism. It's not clear that you can't you can't actually take all of the sexism out of James Bond. Uh, and have it still be the same thing. But I think they're trying to get rid of some of the, the worst offenses. And further, uh, R.L. Stein, uh, children's author, or sort of tween author of my youth, who wrote the Fear Street and the Goosebumps series, uh, which anybody who was about my age in the 1990s read at least, or at least is familiar with the Goosebumps series. I don't know if Laurie read them as a kid. Uh, I read, like, everything that I could get my hands on that was at the local library of the Goosebumps books, and they meant a great deal to me at the time. I remember none of them because they're not particularly memorable, but they were fun experiences. Anyway, that guy, who has published something like 530 works over his career, uh, some of some of which, at least, he wrote, uh, a large number of which apparently in the last few years have been written by... Uh, his employees and just have his have his name on them in the the James Patterson mode of brand publishing more than it is actually writing any longer. He is going through some of his old books and editing them to be more sensitive to today's sensitivities. I guess is uh, the only way that I can finish that sentence. Today's sensibilities. There you go. Does it matter now? Obviously, the the Ian Fleming thing is a little bit closer closer to the Roald Dahl thing where Ian Fleming has been dead for some time now, uh, and it is his estate and the, those who have a financial interest in continuing the brand uh, are making these decisions with the author no longer in the picture. Abe, is it okay for R.L. Stein, still alive as he is, to go back and change his works uh, in the hopes of continuing to sell them to the next generation. Assuming that they're not doing it under some sort of, uh, they're not being induced to do it by whatever pressure, I think it's fine. I do wonder if it's not an exact comparison, but like, you know how like musicians, they had some song from back in the day and they not so much remastered it, but they kind of make, make some tweaks. Like when you do it for artistic reasons, it's like different, I guess, like it's fine. But if you're doing it for just, commercial reasons like this is going to be more in demand because it's more in line with the whatever the taste are of the moment right so right well it's funny you should bring that up right now because uh pink floyd has just had or is about to have the 50th anniversary of the release of dark side of the moon which is one of the greatest selling records of all time and rightfully so it's a absolute pop rock masterpiece he famously is this year apparently going to – he has completely re-recorded Dark Side of the Moon so that it more closely matches uh, – Roger Waters, that is – more closely matches his conception of what the album should have been all along. Uh, but crucially, he's not going back and eliminating – I mean he doesn't have this power because he's not the only one who represents the interests of Pink Floyd, which is no longer sort of a functional entity besides the ability to sell records and, and chop the money up different ways. It's not like they're out there making new right. music. They all – they hate each other. Roger Waters and, and David Gilmore uh, despise each other and still fight on Twitter like weird and babies. And Roger Waters is the wackadoodle, right? Isn't he like a big fan of the some weird – I don't know if it's him. There's some guy who was like a. F- he is. He's been. He's been given some weird speeches recently. Uh, specifically, I wouldn't say in support of Russia, but definitely questioning the uh, mainstream right. narrative of uh, of 
the the Western take on the Ukraine situation. He's not pleased, uh, and he's he's an outspoken dude. He's got some weird politics, uh, but he's always been the way that he is, and you know right. whatever he can do right. what he wants to do. Uh, and what he's doing is he's re-recording Dark Side of the Moon and making it the way that he wants it to be, and that's fine. Like if he wants to re-release Dark Side of the Moon and it's what he considers to be his perfect vision of it, fine. I might stream it. I'm probably not going to right. buy it. For example, because I have my copy of Dark Side of the Moon on the shelf in the other room, and it's a, a perfect masterpiece as it exists already. Uh, he can't, crucially, he can't come exactly, into my basement yeah. and right. remove Dark Side of the Moon and all of the, the many tens of millions of copies of that record that have Found sold the word of the day today over the last fifty years, and uh, and and rewrite history in that in that way, right? He, all he can do is reproduce or or, or start selling anew right. this new right. thing that he's making that he believes is a more true representation of it. And as far as I'm concerned, R.L. Stein can fuck right off. Like, uh, don't go back and edit these things. Like, I, it's bad enough that my mother. Uh, lost my childhood library, so I can't actually find the copies of his books that I had in 1992 and 1993 to go back and just open them up and, and see the words on the page and be wildly offended by them, if apparently that's what's going to happen. Uh, I can't do that. And so I have to rely on the fact that the copies that my kids got for Christmas last year will are... are the same books that I read when I was a kid. And apparently you can't rely on that anymore, and that fucking sucks. So the only way to verify it is to kind of sift through it? Like you can't just look at the front and see when this was published and say, okay. Yeah, I don't know when – I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm sure, yes, the answer is that, yes, you could okay. do that. But it bothers me, you know, and, it, and it's not just the fact that this is – like it's not the old like, oh, you're ruining my childhood kind of thing by, by changing the things that I care about. Like as we've discussed before – uh, changing the name of the local elementary school does not, in fact, rob anyone of their memories. It, not, no, no brain worms were introduced into your ear, and your neurons have not been chomped on by creepy crawly creatures. However, I do think, in a in a sort of broader point sort of way, it takes something away from our ability now to understand the culture of yeah. then when you start rewriting the works that were popular of a certain time. And uh, looking back on the on the James Bond books, like it matters that James Bond, who represented a super suave British spy who had a license to kill and could and he fucking slayed pussy on top of it all, right? Like he he was just a, a man about town drinking and gallivanting with hot chicks and killing the bad guy and all of that cool stuff. And also he said some like sort of distasteful racist right. shit, right? Like that's what the cool right. guy did back in from nineteen fifty three to nineteen sixty six or whatever Ian Fleming's run was, right? When he was writing these books. Like this was the character who was was cool and maybe Fleming was trying to maybe who knows what Fleming was trying to do with the character if he endorsed all of the views that came out of James Bond's mouth I don't fucking know I've never read one of the James Bond novels as far as I can remember uh, I've always meant to but I've never gotten around to it the point being that if I want to learn anything about why this character became so entrenched in the culture I need to experience it as it was experienced right. by the people who read it at the time. And it, in an important sort of almost sociological and historical way, 
sanitizing those products and not making them widely available, it suggests that this is just a product of now in a way that it simply cannot be. This is something that exists in the historical record and you should not be permitted to fuck with it because it takes something away from the experience of reading it. I I can't learn anything about what the world was like in 1955 when the James Bond work was published if some asshole has come in in 2020 and gone through line by line and made it more amenable to the cultural strictures of our time, right? right? You know, what's interesting is like everything is experienced in the now, like these days, because like we have access to everything. Like you can turn on the television and watch the latest episode of like The Crown or watch an episode from 40 years ago of Cheers or watch this movie from 70 years ago or do whatever, and you're consuming all this different content from many different years with today's sensibilities. And it seems like the approach that a lot of these uh, outlets are, 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 are taking are basically like, let's just kind of like clean it up for the current consumption instead of just like leave it be as is. And then that will be a better kind of like way to experience the information because you'll see, oh, it was different. You'll notice the... Boy, you know, like, I think I've said this before, but, like, for whatever reason, a lot of movies from, like, the late 80s to the early 90s focused heavily on this emerging threat that was Japan. Like, they were going to be the next big player on the world stage. Like, Die Hard kind of had a thing with it. There was a couple of other movies where just, hey, these people are going to eat our lunch and whatever. So, like, I mean, that's kind of, like, a silly example, but, like... It's interesting. It's like, oh, I, I did not know. Even as another example that I think I've mentioned before, it's like going further back where the male character would smack the female character into composure because they're kind of being erratic, you know? Right. Like that was just like a thing that they did and it's kind of fucked up, but like at least it's like, oh, it kind of places where this is. I mean, also the black and white and very stilted language, everything. Right. Where like hitting women was just a normal thing that you did in the culture, right? Like it was fine. Like that, that, I mean, not to, uh, we don't have time to get into anything big here. I know I'm not trying to get anything big, but when you start sanitizing these cultural products of another time, you start losing the idea that progress is even possible, right? right? Because what you can, when you, what you can see when you look at an old uh, piece of film where a guy's like, get your shit together, Marsha. And he just smacks her clean across the face. And she's like grateful for it. Right. She's like, Oh, thank you. I was, (laughs) I was not myself. I was acting right. I was being hysterical and I was being such a woman. Thank you father for smacking some sense into me. Right. Like that's not how it is anymore. And if, and, and, and I think importantly, that maybe was sort of representative of how it was right. then, right? Like domestic violence wasn't even a concept right. until the 1970s or something right. like that, right? Like, no, people just beat their wives when their wives had it coming and the wives stuck around. That was the way of the world, right? And if you take away, if you sanitize all of our art from previous generations, you can't possibly have any appreciation whatsoever for the ways in which we've progressed as a culture. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. Perfect now. It doesn't mean that we're even on a path to perfecting anything. But it's important to recognize that if art has any meaning whatsoever in a in, in a current cultural moment, uh, wherever you happen to be, at whatever time it happened happens to be, it is a reflection of 
that culture, right? And importantly, it can actually have a material impact on the way people see themselves in the world when they see themselves reflected back at themselves when they go to the movies or they read a book or something along those lines. They can be horrified by themselves and by the culture at large, and that's how cultures change. That's how you can have mass cultural movements. That's how collective action is even possible, right? And and crucially, if you sanitize everything new so that it doesn't actually offend anybody now, then it makes progress virtually impossible to achieve in this moment because all you do is you're creating things that your side, the people who are on your team already, morally believes in in this moment. Everything that happens in this piece of art is either an affirmation of your morals or a judgment of the failure of the morals of others. And because the two don't aren't in communication with each other, then nothing actually changes uh, in, in terms of things getting better from your right. perspective. I don't know. It's uh, it's a whole much bigger conversation probably, but uh, you can read about that and more at brainiron.com. Just uh, go seek out the blog. You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. Find the show. Just go to the fucking website. Oh, uh, uh, good news, oh. everybody. I'm no longer blocked on Facebook. Look you can at post. That. You can post my shit to Facebook remember now. Remember Facebook? And remember Facebook when people were on Facebook and you could like post links to Facebook? Uh, apparently, Zuckerberg realized uh, blocking all sorts of random shit was no way to get people to engage with your website. And so uh, he personally lifted the ban on the brainiron.com domain. <laughs> you can post brainiron.com shit to your heart's content. Now on Facebook, now that nobody is fucking there any longer, right. feel free to share <laughs> our shit on Facebook. Uh, also on Twitter, where I do tweet occasionally, find links to that at brainiron.com. And in the show note, the opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig, who is, as far as I know, still engaged. Oh. Good, good for you, That's- Mark. Uh, Abe, did you make it to the movies this week? Not only did I make it out to the movies once, twice, three times. Very busy. What? Very- How is that? There's so you went to go see Cocaine Bear again, obviously. <laughs> no. So uh, the best opportunity uh, from the previous week, I did go see Jesus Revolution. I what a oh, how was it? It, it was actually not that bad. It wasn't as many opportunities to good. like poke fun. It was like a competent movie like you know they actually put some money behind it Uh, i probably would prefer to have seen it uh the first week because there was only like a handful of people there like i would have liked to see this christian crowd like watching the movie because they would have eaten a lot of that those scenes up i mean the story was whatever but like it was very tailor-made for the christian types um gotcha so i i saw that i saw some new Jason Statham movie, like Guy Ritchie, Jason Statham, all these movies kind of blend together. I kind of forget the name. I forget the, the title of it. What was the name of that one? The one that I just watched was, uh, what was it? Some weird, stupid name. It was Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre. It was like Aubrey Plaza was in it. The stu- I heard it. I, all I saw about it was that it was sort of panned and that it was like sort of a lame Bond thing. Yeah, it, it, it was... Yeah, true on both counts. Also, no promotion. Like, I didn't even know this was coming out. But I was like, ah, oh, it sounds like an interesting movie. Let me go watch it. It wasn't 
that interesting. Uh, that fucking guy has really fallen off, hasn't he? I mean, it seemed like when he was making uh, Lock, Stock, and Two yeah. Smoking Barrels and and Snatch, people loved his stuff. He, Not so much anymore. He has uh, – who's the guy that the British guy is in a lot of his movies lately? The guy that was like uh, for, Russell Brand for weddings and uh, whatever. Like uh, Hugh, Grant. Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant, yes. Hugh Grant's in – he's been in the last like two or three. Like I guess they're kind of pairing up. And he does a schmoozy same like – charming asshole kind of thing that Hugh Grant does and he did it again yeah. here. Very reliable. Hugh Grant Hugh Grant is wonderful and I won't have I won't have any <laughs> no. negative talk about this Hugh Grant. This is positive talk. This is like a very reliable you just product. Described your brother. So <laughs> very reliable. My brother secretly believes he's an American Hugh Grant. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you say? Charming asshole? Yeah. <laughs> and then All right, the, so that's two. The, no no ringing endorsements yet. Right. What's, so what's the, the third, third one? one was uh, fittingly Creed three. Uh now this one I watched uh in a very packed house. I mean, this is—I've never seen so many people engage in the in in, in a movie. There were a lot of like, kids in, in in the theater. The movie was fine. Uh, the po- what are people doing bringing their kids to these grown-up I, movies? I, I don't know about. I this. don't know. The, but the last couple of movies that I've seen that are big opens have kids. I mean, I'm going to go see uh, the latest Scream. I bet you there'll be a bunch of kids at this movie yeah. where people are getting gutted. That's exciting. Um, but. Creed three, like just if you don't pay too much attention to the plot, it's actually not bad. Like all the, you know, it's like a Rocky type movie, right? So you right. know what you're getting into. But like the story is like Creed had like a friend when they were coming up when they were younger, and uh, he got locked away on some charge for like twenty years, never to be heard from again. And he shows up suddenly, and he works his way. He's like, "Can you give me a title shot?" I know we're like in our thirties now, and. You know, we're over the hill, and I'm not a professional boxer, but hey, how about it, <laughs> right. friend? Uh, and he's like, oh, that'll be a – well, I don't know about that. But anyway, he gets him a fight, and he, like, cheats. Like, he's, like, fighting very unorthodox. Instead of, like, punching the face or the body, he's, like, punching people's, like, shoulder to, like, break it, which I've never seen utilized. I think it's, like, a artistic license. I don't think this would actually work in the actual <laughs> world. But, like, he would, like, kind of clinch up and, like, punch straight – into the guy's shoulder and break his shoulder. And then he's like, oh, great. And then he'll like elbow them. And then he won the title, kind of like in an asshole way. And then that sets right. up the two friends in the, you know, he kind of was like, uh, of there's the, no, no honor in the way this guy fights. Right. There's no it. honor. Um, he, he kind of was modeled after like, uh, similar to like the, uh, Mr. T, Mr. T, right. the guy from like Rocky three, kind of like that. But, the guy who was playing him, Jonathan Major, is very good. I think he's going to be good in other movies. He was in the Ant Man. He was like the only bright spot in it, and and right. he was in this, and it was very good. So, what is this movie doing being released in early March? This like didn't these Creed movies make a bunch of money? Shouldn't these be like either summer or so, or fall? I think the, yeah, the last couple, the the first two, I think were fall releases, like October, November ish, uh, and I think they were in that same window initially, but something happened and it was pushed to. March. I still made a pretty decent money, but like, uh, I, I mean, this seems like it'll be the last one because, like, in this movie, the guy Creed has already retired. He's like a promoter, and he had to be brought back to a fight because of his friend. Well, you know, that, that kind that's of, always the way, yeah. isn't it? That's how these movies go. But he's already retired. I mean, like, Rocky was old as shit before he started fighting that Tommy Gun yeah. guy on in the streets. All right, three movies. That's uh, that's quite a number. Yeah. 
magic all number. of them all of them movies oh, one of them pretty okay yeah. well, that's <laughs> <laughs> and also on the tv front uh survivor 44 return by the way uh this show survivor has been on for some time now and for the first time uh probes uh decided hey maybe i should get in on this podcast game and so now he's got like a podcast oh, out nice. like a companion where podcast. The behind the scenes kind of yakety yak nice. it's not bad that's a funny way of revealing that you are co-hosting a podcast with <laughs> Jeff Probst on, on Survivor 44. That's really slow rolling your involvement there, Abe. I have no I involvement forward, so far. I look forward to listening to it. We're going to get get to the end of the first episode of the Jeff Probst uh, Survivor podcast. and say, Let's read some tweets from some fans of the show out there. Alan56 has tweeted for the first time in 11 years. <laughs> Uh, anyway, what did we watch? We watched. We watched two. So the reason we're married yeah. still is because I said <laughs> I want to watch. The only one reason of Lori the, puts up with me. Yeah. Yeah. I want to watch one of the Murdaw documentaries. Oh. And it was like, which one? Yeah. So we like the Netflix one seemed slightly more recent. And so we watched an episode of that. And then we watched an episode of the other one. Where is that one location? HBO? HBO. So Netflix and HBO. So the answer that I got was both at the same time. Yeah, we watched. So we watched the first hour on Netflix, and then we watched the first hour on HBO. And then the next night, we watched episode two on Netflix and episode two on HBO. Yeah, it's one of those, like, find you a man who will watch... (laughs) Two true crime documentaries on the same subject at the same time. So far, which one is doing a better job? The HBO one is better. Obviously, the HBO one is better. It's a little less juicy. Okay. The the Netflix Netflix one one is juicy. And the Netflix one is the most recent one? Is is that the one that's most recent? It's not clear yet because I think we have to get through – because each of them is just three episodes long. We have to get through the last episode of each to see okay. up to what point they come in the story. It seems like the Netflix one is more invested in hearing from the people who are very close people to the situation. To, yeah. And the HBO one interviews those same people. But also talks to journalists. Yeah, and there are journal- like larger truth things going people who on know in the things. HBO one. Gotcha. But the the Netflix one is is more exciting. Gotcha. This is a terrible immediate family. Yeah, these, it's uh, one of those Murdoch's. where like, and obviously we talked about this on the show. I think a, sad. a year ago when this first became a big national news story, and it it's as bonkers it could, as it sounded when we first discussed it. What the initial national news coverage were like he like hired somebody to to kill him or like it was like some weird i think that's when it first came to our attention was when shortly after this guy had attempted suicide allegedly via having one of his former clients shoot him in the head on the side of the road and missed and and (laughs) fail and so but like on top of that it seems like that was just a ploy anyway like the whole thing that was just the thing at every step along the way first it was supposed to look like a murder but then he said it was supposed to be a suicide but that seemed to also be a lie like it's just lie after lie after lie and it this guy is just a fucking embezzler like he just stole a bunch of money from the family law firm where he 
he and his family have worked was forever? Simply to just for the drugs, or was there some other expensive habit that he had? Like, what, why was he stealing so much? I don't money? think that we have gotten any indication. As far as we're, we've got, okay. we, we haven't well, even gotten to that point in the story shitty. yet. Right? But yeah, They're just shitty people who have a lot of power in a small town and they've gotten away with being shitty right. forever. Right. Stop raising your kids, you rich people. Stop raising them as rich people. Yes, all kids. of our rich listeners out yes. there. Right. If if you constantly insist that your child can never do anything wrong, they will become fucking monsters. Right. They will do awful things and then you will be uh responsible for those things. But it, but you know it's, it's I, bad. And that's gotta be easier said than done because like if you're rich and you don't want your you want you want the kids to still have some sort of connection to the real world and, and you don't wanna spoil them. But like all the things that you're doing, you wanna enjoy the money that you've earned or you whatever. can enjoy that's the thing you can enjoy having money and doing things and still not be shitty you can do it it's yes. doable i have many many clients who have grown up rich and never been any different and they're great and fine right like yeah so it's doable it, it, having right. money doesn't mean that you're shitty right all right. I also watched. Lori didn't catch as much of this one. I watched something on Amazon Prime called Megiddo or Megiddo, the Omega Code Two. I was sleeping. You should have been sleeping. Which is a 2001 science fiction adventure slash Christian oh, end of yeah. the world apocalypse film, hmm. uh, which is a sequel, but also sort of a retelling of the Omega Code One. So it's, it's a little bit confusing. <laughs> yes. uh, they sort of remade and also sequelized the mi- moderately successful 1999 apocalyptic thriller, The Omega Code, with The Omega Code 2 starring a shocking array of faces that you have definitely seen no kidding. many times before. Like, like, it's weird how it's like, wait. I know that guy, and I know that like that's the guy from the first Terminator it was movie. Like a high school reunion. What is he doing in this fucking movie? <laughs> he was he was the cop in the first Terminator movie. What is he doing in his 2001 movie uh, called The Omega Code Two? Also, uh, why is Basil Exposition from the Austin Powers films? In both of these movies as, like, the main character. Also, the guy from Starship Troopers is in the original The Omega Code. Casper Van Dien, wow. who isn't in fucking anything else, but he's in these goddamn movies. Michael Ironside, the guy also from Starship Troopers, uh, among many other great movies from the 80s and 90s, shows up in The Omega Code. I cannot recommend these horrible films more highly. <laughs> These are movies to put on not once, not twice, but just every night of the week for like a month so that you can fully experience every bit of nuance that goes into uh, – that went into the filmmaking here. So it's Omega, uh, spectacular. Omega 2, and what's the other one? No, it's just two movies, The Omega Code and The Omega Code 2, okay. which is uh, – the, the name of it is M-E-G-I-D-D-O. So Megiddo. 
colon, the Omega Code 2. I don't know why they named them that way. <laughs> it wasn't great planning on their part. But the first one made triple its budget, apparently, so they that. decided to make the second one. And then the second one shit the bed because it sucked. Um, <laughs> but uh, it didn't suck in a way that means that you shouldn't watch it. It sucked in a way that you should definitely watch it. Like, this is all about it's the... Like Avatar. It's basically Avatar. <laughs> right. It's all about... A similar production budget and 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 computer graphic effects, by the way, to Avatar. It's all about the rise of the Antichrist uh, via this uh, demonic individual who like tries to kill his infant brother in a, in an early scene in the movie. Again, speak very highly wow. of this film. It's on Amazon Prime. There is a deep roster of bad. Christian movies it's, on Amazon so Prime. There's so many that, like, I'm sad we can't watch all of them. Like, we that we can't. I have to go to work. Yeah. Let's go to bed. Anyway, I'm so what tired. Else? Did we watch anything else this no, week? No, the allergies today started. The pollen, uh-huh. all the fucking flowers yeah, My throat is scratching. I'm going to feel like shit right. for four months, and everyone's going to be so happy about it. Yeah, and next week, Lori's... Isn't it nice that it's spring? Lori's Fuck gonna you. Be, Lori's going to be triple cranky because yeah, the clocks change next week. and then they're going to steal an hour oh, from yeah, my life. So forward. we should be going to bed earlier all week, but here we are. Yeah, here we are. Uh, speaking of which, The Last of Us, episode eight of nine. Yes. Uh, I liked it. I liked this episode a lot. Holy How'd shit. How'd you feel about this episode, Abe? That, uh, that David wasn't... What a total sack of shit. Like, he... Like... Just watching him is like, okay, maybe this guy's like a decent bloke, you know? He seems like he's fine. Oh, you didn't fall for that for a second. Like, you know, Did you? he's helping out. Hey, what's going on? He can join the little group. <laughs> Big, you know. He was, he was every little bit of characterization was designed to make you wary of that character. Sure. I there mean, was... but, you know, in the show, they don't come in contact with that many humans, so you have to be kind of like careful. Uh, the other guy is like, hey, let's leave this little kid, fucker, uh, or shooter. And, like, later on, right. I'm thinking, was he just trying to spare her from, like, the raping that was to come? Like, was, was this, if she just kill her now, like, no. there won't be a problem later. Because it seems like they're very into just, like, let's kill her. Like, they, right. and they're all, like, kind of scared of this guy. He kind of looks at them, smacks that poor kid. I think he makes... He pulled like a Eric Cartman where like he feeds the father to the kids. I don't know if that's what happened, but I was assuming. That's, de- that's definitely what okay. happened. Yeah. So total piece of shit. And then he's like doing some weird moves while he's talking to uh, to her, trying to touch her. It's, it's really funny that you referred to that as pulling an Eric Cartman, which hadn't even occurred <laughs> like to me. It's... But that is effectively what he does. <laughs> I made you eat your parents. He feeds the kid her own family. Right. That's fucked up. But, like, again, in ret- like after I watched it, I was like, was that guy just, like, trying to spare her what was to come, or was he just an asshole? Like, I don't know. But also in the before time, uh, like, he was like, oh, it's a total piece of shit from the get-go, and we're kindred spirits because I guess I can tell you're a total piece of shit. Uh, and... So he was talking about like... Yeah, by the way, if he's telling the truth about his previous life where he said he was a teacher and also he is very clearly into seducing 12 to 14-year-old girls. Uh. Yeah, so I'm thinking this was he was pulling the scam in the before times and now he's... And he didn't believe in the little cult thing that he's put peddling. Uh, Just like, ah, they're into that. By the way, how you know that you're... I mean, obviously, anybody... 
in uh, on a so-called prestige drama on HBO on Sunday night who is preaching from the Bible yeah. is probably going to be a creep right. just as a general rule. <laughs> if your preacher is preaching from the book of Revelation, then you definitely know that he's a fucking creep. Like it's it's a 100% a, give, a dead giveaway and as part of what I don't care for just in the 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 televisionness of this episode which is like it feel it all felt very rushed. It all felt very much like uh, we have to do this, and it has to all happen yeah, very we quickly. We get all the points, and, yeah, and then it, things must resolve. And I enjoy, I appreciate the way that things resolved, and I like that Ellie sort of has to stand up for herself and do the horrible violence for herself, and she's not she saved. She was having a fine time. She got that, very stabby at the end. Just... Yeah, she's not doesn't doesn't have to be saved by Joel riding in on a on a white horse or what have you because of course the horse was already dead by then also brown right but a a perfectly fine episode of television this series for me it it will not escape its television nature ultimately but it is television it's it's not you have to be okay with that or don't watch it it's fine sometimes television is great this instead is just good television yeah and it's good Uh, serviceable show the the Con- regarding your rushed comment, like the last episode is likely going to also be rushed because, like, the runtime is like in the forty, like forty some odd minutes. Right. So it's like, what are they going to cover? I- I- again, I don't know the game, but like, they're going to do the little uh, vaccine. Right. Speaking of the source material, so here's Joel laying on the basement floor, completely immobilized on death's door. And Ellie shows up in the same way that we talked about with the video games. Yeah. Like, oh, you just drink the health yeah. juice drink potion, the health potion and you're going to be fine. Like, she just sticks him yeah. with the health juice potion <laughs> twice, and he goes from being on death's door yeah. to being able to murder three. Antibiotics and, are murder, intense, Bob. Like, like torture and murder three fully grown men yeah. uh, like 15 fucking minutes later. Like, ah. Not so I, sure like, I, about I don't that. know if that was actually penicillin she got. That's right. It's uh, super juice of some <laughs> kind or another. Uh, anyway, you uh, you got anything else for us tonight? Nope. I guess that's all we've got for tonight. Then we will talk to you next time. Later. It's not that much later than it usually is. I don't know what you're complaining about. It's just late enough, and my eyes and my throat are. Yeah, my th- my throat is all sorts of torn up. It's a bad time to be alive. How long does this uh, spring thing happen? Because I would not like spring Probably either if I forever. Really through summer. Oh. Really through summer. Damn, like it's sucks. flowers and trees and life. Winter takes care of it. Right. Winter it knocks all that shit out. Can't right. bloom. And yeah, winter like the death season right then it's yeah. great and, and like this this is the everything's, everything's coming fine. up yeah you can see the horizon through the trees you <laughs> I can breathe can't believe we didn't talk about tucker carlson's big exp- expose right, about how january 6th was mostly peaceful yeah yeah it was <laughs> we mo- i mean it. it was most like <laughs> mathematically <laughs> words have meanings i'll take it do you think there's anything to the idea that this is just a troll by him? That he's be. using right. the mostly peaceful yeah. framing it's to throw be. it back in their faces yeah. about the 2020 thing? It, it, I mean, I can't imagine there's any other explanation for it. 
the, the 2020 thing. Like the way that they, the the Kenosha protests yeah. and the the summer of riots in 2020, uh, and there was like the backdrop the, is just like carnage and like cars on fire and yeah. like you know mostly right. and all of the up. all of the epidemiologists who sign the thing are like well racism is real bad too and yeah. is a is a health risk okay, so we have to go to bed we right. have to do the tooth fairy I guess that's it then <laughs> all right you guys can talk tomorrow <laughs> good night good night good night. I think a lot of what was motivating the Clinton impeachment was the sexual improprieties of Republican leaders at the time, right? So you had Newt Gingrich, who lost his situation over his various affairs, right? right? And then you have the the wrestling uh, weirdo. Denny Hastert. Jesse Ventura. Denny Hastert (laughs) loses his position. He was like a pedophile, wasn't he? Or what was his angle? Yeah, being a pederast. And... And yeah, like I think there was some of that was just like if we're going to be maximally embarrassed because of our disgusting sexual picadillos, uh, we're not going to let Bill Clinton get away Back with it. Back to Army Hammer again. Weird. Right. Get away with it. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you that there's a lot of. I did intentionally not wear any Georgia gear because it felt inappropriate anyway. But weird, especially today. Weird spiking of the football at a funeral. <laughs> it's not all bad. <laughs>